0: Hello and welcome to Everyday Sublime. I'm your host, Josh Summers, and I'm glad you're here. In today's episode, I'll be sharing part two of a three-part conversation with yin yoga teacher, Stephanie Arend. Stephanie's an old, dear yin friend of mine, and I'm delighted to have her on the podcast to discuss her new book, Be Healthy with Yin Yoga. Just as a quick note before we start today's episode, I want to say and remind you that last year I put together a series of reflections that serve as an overview to the essential themes of yin yoga. This series is based on many of the most common questions I receive from students in my trainings, and it's a free series to all new subscribers. Just go over to my website www.joshsummers.net forward slash subscribe Sign up for the newsletter and this series will start coming your way. And as a bonus, you'll also get access to two free practice videos, one practice that focuses on the spine as one and one that focuses on the hips. So I hope you enjoy those offerings. Now, today on the podcast, Stephanie Arend and I will focus on how she influences the channels of Chinese medicine within her personal practice of yin yoga. And my hope is that this kind of shop talk with experienced teachers will help deepen your own sense of how to teach and practice. So now, once again, I bring you Stephanie Arend. Okay, Stephanie, so one of the things that uh, I appreciated in your book was that uh, in addition to giving kind of a a good overview of many of the, the main yin yoga poses and offering a variety of sequences for specific conditions, um, you also integrate uh, ways, other ways of influencing the channels or meridians of Chinese medicine, and that includes meridian massage, meridian tapping, different kinds of meditations, and I think even dietary recommendations. So I, I just I like to talk about that a little bit. Um, how do you like for something like massage? How do you go about? How how would you think about uh, what meridian to massage, and then uh like how to actually do it
1: there are different ways to do that you can do a twina massage for example where you trace the meridians therefore you have to know where the meridians are and then you can trace them with a tool like a gua sha for example or with your fingers with your hands with your fists and um, encourage the, the flow of energy in that way. You can also break up tar, um, scar tissue once again by doing that massage. That's um, also one of the things I did uh, once my scars were healed a little bit better. Then I started working on them by doing massage, which was a really nice way to do further improvements.
0: So, so a couple of things there, I just want to uh, unpack it a little bit more. Uh, there's, a, there's a term you use called gua sha, Mm -hmm. which is a technique in the sort of the repertoire of Chinese medical practice where kind of a a spoon, usually it's a porcelain spoon that you would get with, say, soup at an Asian restaurant, but it's a a spoon that um, is used to scrape an area of the body, like to gently scrape. There's usually an oil of some sort that gets placed down, a little lubricant, and then that area gets... Gets rubbed, stroked in one way um, with a spoon, correct?
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly.
0: Um, so it you, doesn't
1: have to be a spoon. My favorite gua sha is made of jade stone.
0: Yeah, it, it could be kind of like a, a large blunt letter opener. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you could. There's different tools you could use. But when you do it, uh, sometimes what can happen is there's a, a, a kind of a dark red slash purple discoloration. That occurs in the area. Um, and do you get that when you do it?
1: Not anymore. I did have that in the beginning. I actually wanted to go into the sauna the, the next day. Um, when I did that the first time and the next day, I thought, gosh, I cannot go. I look like somebody beat me up <laughs> because it was blue all over where I did that. But that doesn't come now anymore.
0: Mm. So, do you, do you know what's going on with that? Why you get the discoloration and why you don't anymore?
1: Uh, I guess because um, everything is moving so well now uh, in TCM, they say that these are the toxins which get transported to um, um, to the surface and then they can get out of the body. But I have been doing that for so many years now that I think there is not that much going on on that level anymore.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's particularly if the color discoloration gets very dark and purple. That's a sign that the, in Chinese medicine they're referring to uh, there's a state of blood stagnation in the area where the, the blood's not flowing well and that's a deep level of energetic stagnation that that does come more to the surface and then gets uh, released. Um, so in addition to mentioning Gua Sha you also talk about tracing the meridians and that's um, I wanted to hear more about how you do that because at least in English, the word tracing uh, is kind of a light touch. Usually, like, you take a pencil tip and you trace an image or something, but it's a very light touch. Are you describing that quality of touch where you just lightly touch, say, the trajectory of the liver channel coming up through the inner leg, or the spleen channel coming up through the inner leg, or is it more of a vigorous pressing, pulling uh, kind of massage, which, you mentioned with the Chinese word tui na. Tui na is, is a Chinese version of massage from Chinese medicine um, you, use, using pushing, pulling techniques. Um, so when you're tracing the channel uh, in this kind of practice, how are you how are you going about that?
1: For myself, for my own personal practice, I do it on a more vigorous level. I do it deeper but for some people that's too much, especially when there is a stagnation in the meridians that can get pretty painful, mm-hmm. and um, then it's really um, more of a soft touch. But if it feels good to you, you can go deeper. Mm-hmm.
0: And do you do, Is this something you do in your personal practice, or do you do this in your classes too?
1: No, I don't do it in the classes. I explain it to my uh, students so they can do it for their own personal practice, but I do not recommend it um, to for them to do it in the classes. <laughs> you should really be focusing on that person. And if you have two, 15, 20 people in there, I think that's pretty really difficult to do. You cannot do it with all of them.
0: Yeah, I mean, actually. that's right, because A, I can just see it being a kind of a, an organizational disaster in the sense that you (laughs) just trying to describe where the channel is and get people to have a basic sense of where the channel is, is hard enough. Um, in one of my trainings, we do go into trying to find specific points on channels, kind of what we do in acupuncture school doing point location. And even that one, there's just like four points, that's, that's a big undertaking for a group of 20, 30 people, in about an hour period of time so I can't imagine getting too specific in a public class around this um, but you do you recommend them that they take that home
1: mm-hmm.
0: if they're interested yeah
1: yeah or what you can do with a whole class I think is um, tapping massage when you where you use the whole hands and then you can explain okay now we're tapping the back side of the arm and here are these meridians now we're tapping the inside and these, uh, these meridians you're not specifically uh, on that meridian, um, but you're tapping the whole area. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, that's a good way to do it in class.
0: You know, and, and as you said, that that kind of reminds me of something that I I like to mention around influencing the channels in a yin yoga context, and in that what you just said is the meridians are very close to each other, right? They're, they're, there's not a lot of distance or sort of geographical differentiation uh, in the body so when you're tapping for example you're going to be hitting multiple meridians in that area Mm -hmm. Um, and the the same thing i think is true in many of the yin poses is that like the majority of the channels in a compreh in a a basic or a comprehensive yin yoga sequence the majority of the channels will be getting stimulated one way or another it's uh, Mm -hmm. it's very difficult to isolate just one specific or even just two specific channels um, and I think that, from my perspective, that general stimulation feeds back to, or comes back to what you said earlier, that if your energy is too excess, yin yoga can help balance that. If your energy is too deficient, yin yoga can help that. Um, it's a very simple way of saying it, but I generally say it's, it's, it's the fact that uh, you are opening the energetic pathways so that the qi you have can circulate and your body your organs can then produce whatever qi may be deficient Um, but it's that general stimulation of the yin practice that helps balance either deficient or excess conditions that's the way i've been talking about for a long time but i am am interested do you have a different or a complementary way of talking about it in terms of the, the the balancing effect of the yin practice
1: I totally agree, I would say it the same way. Nothing more <laughs> <laughs> well like i like I said in the beginning the um the mental state is super important yeah. um that's why I think a lot of people feel so balanced after the class because um they um don't have um, that over flooding of of situations and of voices. And um, also in the young class, I sometimes even felt in the young class overstimulated. Sometimes it was even too much for me, even though it was a yoga class, but sometimes people had loud music on, my teachers, um, teachers I went to, and there were so many adjustments and so many things they said about the poses that I felt totally overstimulated and I did not feel balanced at all. And in yin yoga, I try to reach the opposite. I don't play music in my classes. I try to be um, still a lot. So I give people room for stillness, to dive deep. And I think that's a way to get in touch with your soul Mm. and to see what does my soul have to tell me? Am I still on track? Is there still something I can change in my life? So people question everything. Question is... um, is this what I'm doing still making me happy? And that has never really happened to me in a young class where there's so much going on. And I think that's also crucial for the healing path.
0: Well, we're like in more ways than I, I knew. Uh, you're probably one of the few teachers I've heard that says they don't play music. I also don't play music. And uh, it's for similar reasons that I feel like uh, with the music on, you, you kind of can people can feel kind of held within this kind of anesthetic cocoon or bubble of sound that doesn't really allow them to hear more clearly and 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 focus more internally on what's developing in their body and mind. Um, and it's, it really is that I think incredibly valuable container of stillness and silence of the room itself that does permit that, um, that deeper exploration of the mindfulness. Um, so, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say it and, and say it the way you did.
1: Thank you. Well, I do play music for absolute beginners because I think they can get overwhelmed by that much stillness. That was also the feedback I had when I started in teaching yin yoga. I always uh, loved stillness and then I thought, okay, my, t- my students probably also love it. <laughs> But then a lot of people said, whoa, there was a lot of emotional stuff coming up there. And it would really be nice to have some music on, not to be so overwhelmed. And then I said for the beginners, okay, let's do that. I will play a little bit of music, but then there will also be stillness again. And the longer you come to my classes, the, less, uh, the more classes we will do without music. And then when they have been there for a few months or so, then I stopped on playing music completely.
0: Like, like training wheels they like get weaned off slowly
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah yeah i just say suck it up you <laughs> <laughs> only okay then we just apply some mindfulness to it but uh no I, I don't mean it that glibly like of course uh i think what you're getting at is is the idea that just as there's a physical edge to the posture and you need to play that there's also a mental edge to the k- kinds of dynamics that arise and emerge for people and having tools to work with that and music is a tool that can be used to help navigate challenging, difficult stuff as and when it comes up. So I think it's good to have a a variety of approaches there. Mm -hmm. Um, So in your, I guess, you know, one of the questions I had, maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but with all these different tools that you have at your disposal, whether it's the the massage itself, the meditation, some of the meditations you'd like to do or the sequences Mm -hmm. of the poses how do you, how in your own practice, do you think about coming to your practice? So another way of saying that is like, how, what kinds of things do, do you use to evaluate what you do in your practice on any given day and sort of in the, in the realm of what does your personal practice look like and how does all of the stuff that you're talking about look, come to play in your practice?
1: Okay, I'm a very intuitive person, <laughs> so I trust my intuition. It's not like I have a schedule. Monday I do that, and Tuesday it's time for this and that. Uh, I just decide intuitively, but I, um, I'm i an early bird. I get up pretty early. I'm usually up at 5 in the mornings when everybody else is still sleeping, and that, that gives me time to do my... Gua my cupping, uh, and stuff like that in the mornings. And in the mornings, I'm more of a young person. I love to do HIIT workouts, then high intensity interval trainings. I have a rebounder, which I absolutely love. I also do that in the mornings. and um, Sometimes just fitness exercises and... um
0: Pause there for a sec, I'm gonna unpack this more. So you're getting up at 5 a.m. and you mentioned cupping or gua sha. So cupping is is a similar technique to gua sha, but instead of using a, a like a, a blunt letter opener or a spoon, <laughs> you're using these these glass cups that um, the air can get pumped out of them, and they and they get placed on, on on certain parts of the body, usually along the spine, and that draws the skin, flesh, muscle tissue into the cup, which then can help. Also break up stagnation. So if you're using cups or gua sha, where are you doing them on your body?
1: I do it. I do it everywhere where I can reach it. <laughs> <laughs> I do my. I do my face. I do my shoulders, my arms, my back, as um as long as I can reach it. My my butt, my legs, everywhere where I can reach it. But and I'm not leaving them on there like a therapist would do um I'm doing a moving massage I have the the cups and I move them in different directions
0: so you, okay so you're sort of sliding them around, which mm-hmm. is a, is a technique in chinese medicine um, and you know for listeners at home the 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 the, the note of caution or slash caveat here is that the cups can leave these purple bruised marks for anywhere from a couple days to a week or more. So if you're going to a wedding or if you're, you have a beach <laughs> vacation, you probably don't want to be cupping your face or your <laughs> exposed bits. Um, do you get these marks anywhere when you're doing it? Or are you doing a very light
1: cupping technique? No, it's actually not light at all my body gets all red after doing that um but i don't get any marks anymore and i don't um, do that every day because that's also not good for your fascia um but i do it every day on my scar tissue yeah. because that's where we have too much collagen and we want to break that up yeah. and that's why you can do that then every day
0: interesting
1: But on the rest of the body, it's not advisable to do it every day. That would be too much. And you can even um, weaken your fascia in that way.
0: Yeah. Have you, and and, and this will come up later too, I think, uh, but have you used some of these techniques and found yourself to be kind of knocked out of balance from it? You know, whether you feel a little more drained or a little bit off kilter?
1: Yeah, in the beginning. When when I overdid it, probably I had so much fun doing that <laughs> that I probably overdid it, and I felt tired and like there was too much going on at once. And um, but now I don't have that anymore. I just feel really really uh, well after doing that. Like the whole body's vibrating and full of energy.
0: Oh, cool, great, and and so it sounds like you do some sort of the, of self we'll call it self treatment, self massage, self body work with cups or gua sha and then you go into an, an active exercise like a high intensity <laughs> interval training
1: um it depends uh, sometimes i do before sometimes afterwards but i usually prefer to do it afterwards i do the the training first and then when i take my shower uh then i do the massage techniques
0: mm. okay so that is that your morning mm-hmm.
1: yeah if i if i don't have a teacher training and i um have a little bit more time in the mornings then i really love to do that and also on an empty stomach if possible and um at night that is the time for my yin practice
0: mm. so that's so you 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 uh you close the day with your yin practice
1: yes and i really do that every night because i need that to to fall asleep
0: and uh one question i had was going to be if you only had 30 minutes because some people ask me this too if you have 30 minutes only or 20 minutes to do a yin practice what what poses do you do what what sequence would you do
1: i would stretch the spine in all directions i would do a back bend a forward bend a side bend and a twist
0: Mm -hmm. yeah that's more or less what i try to do back bend forward bend twist side bend great if i can get it but if i'm really pressed for time something like that
1: yeah, if you have scoliosis, then the siphons are wonderful, yeah. and I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't skip that.
0: Yeah, and do you, and there's another question I get to about scoliosis. Um, do you do the same set time on each side, or do you favor the tighter side?
1: No, I do not do the um the same time when uh, when I do the trainings, I work with the timer, but for my own practice, I don't work with a timer. I just trust my body. And then I stay in the pose as long as it feels good. And when I have the feeling, okay, now it's um, feeling about the same on both sides, then I release the pose. And sometimes that can be two or three minutes more on one side than on the other one.
0: Interesting. And since you are doing intuitively, do you have any sense how long you're in the poses?
1: Uh, I do have a clock in my room, so I know yeah. <laughs> sometimes, well, it depends, uh, like I have some poses which I absolutely love, and sometimes I also stay like 30 minutes in a pose. Um, for example, um, dragonfly, I love to read in dragonfly, for example, then I take a bolster, put my book on the bolster, and then I just read in dragonfly. That's not really a meditative practice, then, at all. But I'm just asking myself, why shouldn't I do something for my body while I'm reading? Yeah. But usually it's about five minutes that I stay in the poses, five to seven minutes.
0: Yeah, I think it's um, I, I, well, I think it's even I think it's helpful for people to hear you, that you do that. I do it too. i I'm, I suspect many Yin folks do this, where they might be doing a Yin sequence and either reading a book in certain poses, or listening to a podcast, or <laughs> I like to listen to Dharma talks in yin, in yin practice, you don't necessarily have to be completely silent the whole time. You could uh, be doing multitasking a little bit <laughs> while, you're, while you're in the, in the yin pose. But one of the things also you go through in the book, at least in, in um, sections on like sequences for specific conditions, which I want to talk about, um, but you do ta- get into making some dietary recommendations, and um, this is a big piece of Chinese medicine too. I I remember doing a continuing education course one year with an American acupuncturist named Bob Flaws, and Bob said in Chinese medicine, 80% of a treatment is diet.
1: Mm.
0: You know, that's that's the core piece of uh, you know someone's uh, treatment strategy, and then on top of that you have lifestyle factors and other lifestyle factors and acupuncture and herbs, but eighty percent roughly is is diet. And um, in terms of speaking about diet and 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 getting into dietary suggestions, uh, this can be a tricky thing to to work with, um, particularly with students where. As teachers we're not necessarily qualified or licensed dietitians or food therapists um, I just like to see or t- have you talk about how you think about the both the diet itself dietary recommendations themselves and then you know how do we how do we bring these up um, or talk about it with students in a way that is not so prescriptive um, and in, in, and it stays within the scope of our own practice as teachers.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, diet is super important. I think that's why I also chose to become a, to become a nutritionist because I wanted to know more about that topic. I probably wouldn't go um, that far to say it's eighty percent, but I would also go for fifty to seventy percent for sure. So if you just do a sequence uh, against high blood pressure, for example, and then say the sequence will heal my blood pressure, no, that's just one part of the puzzle. You also have to consider so many other things, and um, nutrition is super important. And um, like I said in the beginning, there is not one answer for everybody. same thing again, if you have 10 people, you need 10 different uh, recommendations. When I um, when I have a counseling and nutrition, I let the people write down what they eat and drink for about two weeks, and then I check everything with them, and then I can give them recommendations. But you cannot go and say, okay, this is good for everybody. Mm-hmm. You have to see what is that person lacking. What can that person do better? Are there any uh, allergies or intolerances? And um, it's just like in yoga, everybody needs something else. Yeah. A lot of people these days um, are super happy with keto, for example, but there are other people who say, I cannot do that at all, I feel so tired. And, or vegetarians who um, say, because uh, I do yoga, I have to be vegetarian because of ahimsa, and then after 20 years, they say, I absolutely need meat again. I'm going crazy if I don't eat meat. And then there are other people who judge that, but that person really needs that if you check the blood. Mm-hmm. So there is not one rule for, for all.
0: Yeah, just like as we talk about in asana, there's no one-size-fits-all alignment mm-hmm. that will work for every particular body, um, and the same certainly seems true in diet. That, uh, that there's no one-size-fits-all diet that will address everyone's unique conditions. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll pause the conversation with Stephanie there, and in the next episode, she and I will continue to explore the topic of how to develop yin yoga sequences with specific energetic thematic intentions. Again, I hope our shop talk will give you new ideas and ways of thinking through similar dynamics in your own practice and teaching. And if you enjoyed this conversation, you can support this podcast by sharing an episode or two with a friend or through your channels and social media. You can also pick up a copy of Stephanie's book, Be Healthy with Yin Yoga, and there's a link for that in the show notes. And finally, as a short parting reminder, if you'd like to receive your free access to my Essentials of Yin Yoga program, please head over to my website, www.joshsummers.net forward slash subscribe. Sign up for my newsletter and good things will start flowing your way. Thanks so much again for listening today and I'll see you in the next episode.